It is my privilege to be back with you today. We were blessed to be here last year for Bible Bowl and to speak, and we are very blessed to call you one of our supporters during our time at the Memphis School of Preaching. I cannot tell you how much you mean to us. I may not know your name, I may not know you personally, but you mean the world to us because you have helped us, helped me especially, fulfill a lifelong dream. Five years old, asked what I wanted to be when I grew up, preacher. That was the answer. I did come from a background of preaching. As you know, my father, B.J. Clark, is a preacher. He's preached here before. And to me, it just made sense. That's what I wanted to do. And I've always heard it said, and I do find it true, you know you want to preach when you do not like it when you have to sit and listen to somebody else preach. And that's not because I don't need to hear lessons myself, but I want to be preaching. I want to be the one that gets to proclaim God's word. And I'm reminded of Ezekiel in Ezekiel 3 that he'd been set as a watchman. And that's, that's a verse that I try to carry with me very close to my heart because I want to be a preacher that's a watchman for the people to whom I minister, for the people in the community where I live, and to those whom I'm, whom I'm blessed to visit from time to time. I want to be a watchman. And I think so much about identifying things as what they are. No doubt it would be easy if your car was stolen to give identifying marks of what the car was, right? And as I think today, I would like to give you a lesson on identifying marks of Satan. This is not an easy lesson because what many people think of when they think of Satan is... An individual that is just a heinous individual. I mean, that's the picture they get, this menacing red-faced creature with horns and a tail. We don't have any scripture that proves that, so I can't say that that's what he looks like. But I do know this, he's just as menacing as the pictures look. I can promise you that. He doesn't have to look that way to be that menacing. And we're going to examine our key text, John eight forty four. And we're going to compare it with Genesis 3. That's my goal today. To help you be able to identify the devil. To help me continue to know when the devil is in front of me. And then I can know I don't want to be around this. And as we we go about an introduction, I, I just want to ask you if tonight you go home, you turn on the news. And you find out that there's a murderer in your local area. The first question you ask, what are the identifying marks of this individual. What does, he, does he have a tattoo? Does he have a piercing? Does he have a scar of some kind that I can recognize this is the murderer that's on the loose? How tall is he? How wide is he? What's, what's the identifying marks? But imagine that the reporters stated, we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings tonight. And so we're not going to give you any identifying marks of this murderer that is on the loose in your local area in McMinnville. What would you be screaming at the television? What do you mean? I need to know what they look like. For those of you that have children, that would definitely be another thought is, how am I going to be able to trust my children going outside? How am I going to be able to trust us even leaving the house because we don't know who the murderer is? We don't know what they look like. We don't know what they... Give us some identifying marks. And aren't you glad that Jesus Christ and the Lord even throughout Scripture gave you the identifying marks of our very enemy? 
Could you imagine a Bible that's written where we know that Satan is our enemy, but we have no idea what he's like. We have no idea what he's about. We have no idea the devices that he tries to use to tempt us. And we have no idea anything about this individual other than his name. Or take it a step further, we don't know anything about this individual other than that there is an adversary and he's out there to try to get us. You talk about a lack of trust issue at that point. We'd have trust issues. We wouldn't trust anybody. But throughout the Bible, a clear picture is painted for us of the devil. And in fact, if you will, John 8.44 is one of the best summaries of the devil I can find in Scripture. It's a heartbreaking passage, and we'll get to that in just a moment, but I want to examine some identifying marks with you, and in the first place, he's a murderer. He's a murderer. Now, if you put up every serial killer that has ever lived, and I've named a few, Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, Jeffrey Dahmer, all of the terrorists that have ever taken lives of others in their terrorist attacks, and the mass murder that has taken place at the hands of these individuals, and many more, on Netflix, on a lot of investigative discovery channels, you have documentary after documentary about what? Serial killers why they are the way that they are. But I will tell you that all of these men do not compare to the murder that is beside the devil's name. Because he is a murderer from the beginning. He is the orchestrator of death. He brought about death into the world. And this is, an, this is a picture that you might not be able to see many of the statistics, but here's, here's something. This is 141 homicides... From January the 1st to August, that's when I pulled the statistic, in Memphis. Memphis. Now, 114 were by gun, 6 were by knife, 3 by vehicle, 8 by other, and 9 were unknown. And I find it interesting and feel the need to point this out, only 4 of them involved the police. But 141 homicides. And I promise you, if I were to go back and pull that, it's more than likely risen. And I wasn't even brave enough to look at Chicago or to some other cities like that that I know I might not have been able to fit the number on the screen. I don't know. Because I know Chicago has a lot of issues. But there is a problem. Murder happens on a daily basis. People want to lie, cheat, steal, and at some, sometimes they'll do whatever it takes, including killing, to do it and to get what they want. The devil's the orchestrator of death. Genesis 3.19, For dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. And why? Because they had committed a transgression against the law, and the devil was the main catalyst of this. Were it not for the devil tempting and successfully getting Adam and Eve to partake of this fruit, death isn't even a thought. It doesn't exist. Up until this point in Genesis 3, what about death has been written? Nothing. Everything is good. The only thing that God saw that was not good was that Adam didn't have a helpmate. But nothing about death has been said until chapter 3. And it comes about when Adam and Eve transgressed the only commandment God gave them. 
one commandment. Now, children, teenagers, I know because I'm not too far removed from living at home, there were a lot more than just one rule in, in our household, right? And there are a lot more than just one rule. And in fact, you might be sitting there thinking, yeah, there's millions of rules. I understand. But could you imagine having just one rule? That's it. That's only, the only thing you have to worry about is that one thing. And in fact, it's so simple, God put the tree in the midst of the garden. You couldn't miss it. It's not like they could say, oh, I, I just didn't realize this was the tree. I'm sorry, that's my bad. No, no, no. God said, don't eat of this tree. And in fact, it's in the midst of the garden. Don't do it, lest you what? Die. They knew the consequence. They knew the punishment. The devil comes forward though. And he begins to tempt them and successfully get them to partake of the fruit. And we'll say more about that in just a moment. But I'm, I'm becoming more and more as I'm preaching a fan of word studies. Because I think that's important. And I looked up the word or words that were associated with murder, killing and whatnot, and I found out that it's in there a lot. Murder is found nine times in Scripture. Murderers, four. Murderers, ten. Murderer, twenty. The word kill, just from Genesis to Leviticus alone, is 38 times. Slew, 196. Slay, 117. Now, I know you might be thinking, if you've studied Leviticus and Genesis through Leviticus, you're probably already going to think, well, that was sacrificial killing a lot of the times, yes. And why did they need to bring sacrifices forth? Why did something else need to be killed? Because they transgressed the law, they'd followed after the murderer, and they were dying as a result. And the only way to keep themselves pure before God was to bring forth sacrifices and kill them. So that's countless creatures that didn't have to die. But now they did. And you picture that for a moment. You bring a lamb to the priest. He places the lamb upon the sacrificial table. He cuts open its neck. And the lamb begins to bleed and to bleat out crying as it's dying. And do you think that wouldn't resonate? Do you think that wouldn't bring someone to think about why that had to happen? Because of their sin? Because of the transgression of the law which was brought about by a murderer? Countless death. In the second place... And perhaps the one that makes me the most upset, I, I'm upset with murder, but people don't really love being lied to, do they? I know I don't. I've had friends that are no longer friends currently because they lied to me. And I, I it, they've not tried to do anything to make amends, and I, I can't be around people that lie to me. I don't tolerate that. I've dealt with that enough in my life. And in fact, I guarantee you there are people in this very audience that if I gave you an opportunity to go back and to change something, you might think of a time when you'd been lied to and you'd go back and change it. For some, it might be that purchase you made on credit that you thought would be a good idea that now you realize that wasn't a good idea. I wish I could go back and change that. 
For others, it would be more serious. I wish I could go back and know that such and such was the case and that I was being lied to. You think about people that have had their spouse cheat on them. You think they wouldn't want to go back and change and know what they didn't know. Lying is one of those sins that, while it seems harmless, can be one of the most devastating. And the devil is the father of it. If we go back to our text in John 8, 44, the Bible says that he abode not in the truth. That statement alone would be interesting enough, but the statement that follows it, because there is no truth in him, is hard to believe. That someone could be so wrapped up in lying that when they speak of a lie, they speak of their own. Essentially saying, you know they're talking, you know they're lying, they're talking. You can tell because they're talking. Words are coming out, they're lying. That's his language. Lying. And he wants to lie and take everyone with him as possible. And if you look at Genesis 3 again, you'll see verses 1 through 7, some interesting points. I'd like to consider these verses and then bring out and flesh out some of the four key things that I find from these first few verses of Genesis 3. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree of the, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. The serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them were both opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now, I find four things that stick out. In the first place, that the devil was subtle. That he asked, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The third place, ye shall not surely die. You'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. Notice the first one, subtle. The devil is subtle. Now, other translations render this as cunning or crafty. The devil knows how to play the game. He knows how to come about and ask a question that inspires doubt. Notice this. He knew what, the God, what God had commanded. Because he asked the question. Hath God said you shall not eat of every tree? He knew that God had said that they shouldn't eat of all the trees that God had commanded them not to, which was one. But he had said all of the other trees were fair game. But the devil knows how to ask a question to inspire doubt. God's holding you back. That's the whole point of his, of his statement here. God's wanting you to notice that you're not, look, God's not going to kill you. Come on. God is love and God won't do anything. Well, how does he know this? Look, let me be honest with you for a moment. If the devil's trying to whisper in your ear, and I mean figuratively, that you should do something because God won't care, you better straighten up and understand that 
The devil is only trying with the temptation of the world, with the sins that are in the world, to get you to go against God. The devil's the one trying to hold you back, not God. But the devil says, you won't surely die. According to Titus 1 and verse 2 in Hebrews 6.18, God cannot lie. It's impossible. So if that's the case, and God says, you're going to die if you do this, take it to the bank. It's as good as gold. I promise you. If he says it, you believe it. You won't die. Look, he's trying to make God a liar. And that's just not going to work. But in the fourth place, ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. This wouldn't be the last time that the devil would try to give something that wasn't his to give. You remember the temptation of Jesus in Matthew 4? When he had asked him, of course, to make stones to bread and to cast himself down off and that the angels would rescue him. But the the final temptation is one of the ones that to me was the most puzzling for the devil to bring out. I'll give you all of these kingdoms that you see if you just fall down and worship me. If one has studied Daniel, they know that the whole point of Daniel is that God rules in the kingdoms of men. And that we don't have to worry about the situation where we are. That's a sermon for another time, especially with November coming up. But if they know that God rules in the kingdoms of men, then they know that everything in the kingdoms of men is whose? The king's. God's. Therefore, it's not the devil's to give. And in this instance, back in Genesis 3, it's not the devil's to give, saying that you'll be as God's, knowing good and evil. But he understood this too. People want to be like God. They would love to have the same nature and qualities of the Lord. I understand that because God is all good. Who wouldn't want to be all good? But what Adam and Eve have forgotten in this instance and have been duped by this liar is this. We're already pleasing to God if we do what He says. And we're already spotless if we do what He says. Had Adam and Eve never partaken of the fruit, they would have never committed a sin because it was the one commandment they were given. That's not what happened. You'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. But I do think the saddest of it all was the very first part of our text. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. You mean to tell me, after all that has been well documented about the devil, that people would still want to follow him? They had the law. They would understand this account that we've been going back and forth with of Genesis 3 and knowing the temptation in the garden and what that cost. No doubt they would have heard of the history account of Job and who was really pulling the strings with Job and how the devil 
was trying to get Job to go against God and brought about all of this suffering on him as a result of it and they still want to serve him. You're of your father the devil and I have to say maybe it's because people are blind to it. And you might be thinking, well, what do you mean blind to it? I mean, it's pretty clear how, how heinous the devil is. Allow me to give you some information. This is the After School Satan Club logo. This is a club that many schools are starting to allow in their school. Now, the After School Satan Club's mission statement is to not worship Satan. Could have fooled me because you called it the After School Satan Club. But their mission statement is we want to have and support religious equality. If you know anything about religion, the only religion that really glorifies the devil would be those that worship Satan or those that are sinning and doing the things that Satan would want them to do. So you've kind of got a problem there because you won't have equality with the other religions that look at the devil for what he is. But this is the after-school Satan club. And notice this, look. They're trying to make it cutesy. Here's a crayon. Here's a paintbrush. And they've, they've made it little colors and whatnot. This is another logo of the after-school Satan club. Look how they've depicted the devil. Oh, he's just a cute, cuddly creature that wants to cuddle up with you. Are you kidding me? But this is an actual club now in some schools. Or what about when the White House lit up rainbow colors the day that gay marriage was legalized and their support of it? Red, yellow, black, or white, that man is a fool. And I will call him as such without any fear or trepidation because he has just taken the very symbol that God gave to mankind for a sign of comfort and used it for a perverted purpose. And I cannot tolerate that. Or, or what about Target? And how recently Target said, it doesn't matter what you identify as, as far as if, you, if you're a man, that is, you can identify as a woman, come on into the restroom of your choice. That's okay. I've said before, and I really hope I can find the courage to do this someday, but I would love to go to Target and say, yes, I identify as an employee. May I use your employee restroom? Or I identify myself as a manager. May I please have my paycheck? Or I identify myself as an animal. May I go where I please? Is that okay? Brother, how far are we going to take this as a nation? Because if you want to take this to its nth degree... That should be okay. But you see, the problem with logic is when people don't use it properly, nothing makes sense. And the only thing that makes sense to them is the illogical thought that they have produced and put forth. In this instance, if you identify as a woman and you're a man, you may go into the female restroom, but no, you can't identify as a manager and get your paycheck. There's no difference. It's all about identification. Therefore, it shouldn't matter. Or what about Bruce Jenner? I'll still call him Bruce. Because that's still who he is. 
But he went on a transformation to what he now wants to call himself Caitlin. I know the phrase, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it is a duck. Brethren, that's not true in this case. That's just not true. He's still a man. But he got an award that is categorized for females only. This is ridiculous. But this is, this is what our country and our world is starting to allow. I, I could keep putting up pictures, but I won't. Because I'm already depressed enough with the way that our nation has gone. I grew up in the 90s. And I've grown up in the 2000s so far. And I want to go back to the 90s. And that's saying something because the 90s weren't perfect either. But it wasn't a bunch of this junk like it is now. And I've heard it said before, well, Michael, sin's always been around. Yes, I understand that. But it hasn't been so well accepted before like it is being today. I understand that back in the times of the Old Testament that there were brothels, there were places and places of prostitution and whatnot. I get that. But it wasn't as advertised as it is today. The sin that they did was always depicted as trying to be done in secret. And today, they're loud and proud about what they're doing. Meanwhile, Tim Tebow cannot kneel and pray before a football game without getting released from whatever team he plays for. Currently, he's on a baseball team, but I do wonder how long it will be before his religion and his faith, granted, while misplaced as he's not a New Testament Christian, I wonder how long it will be until his faith will kick him off that team too. But we will allow people to kneel during the national anthem and not say a word. Brethren, wrong is wrong. Right is right. But just because one person or some are wrong doesn't mean that all are wrong. I go to school with a retired police officer and I've asked him before, several times in fact, Neil, you've been in situations before where you've had to fire your weapon. Tell me about it. And he said, look, some of these guys are exactly what they're painted as. They're criminals wearing a badge. I can't sugarcoat that. He said, but Michael, I will tell you this. Video doesn't show everything. And he said, you have no idea. Sometimes what's going to happen in the next two seconds. But you've been given a job to protect those around you. And he said, I've been in crowded places before and had difficulties and, and had to make a judgment call. That's not easy. But he's one of the kindest men I know. 
And I've gone before to a restaurant or to get my hair cut and not gotten what I thought I was going to get. Had a bad meal. It wasn't warm. It wasn't hot. It was a bad meal. Just didn't taste good. Or I've gotten my hair cut and looked at it and thought, yikes. That does not look like I wanted it to look. But I didn't swear off all hairstylists. I didn't say I'll never eat again. Because I understand something. Everybody's human. People can make mistakes. But that doesn't mean that they all make the same mistakes. But brethren, our nation is starting to get too caught up with things that while they are important, we're missing the things that are being done behind the scenes. And I worry. I worry for your children. I worry for mine. If I'm blessed to have them. Because, brethren, I've now heard speculation that someday they might begin to leave birth certificates blank so that when the child grows up and is able to decide what they want to be, that's what they can write on the birth certificate. I worry about my son, if I have a son or a daughter, wanting to date. How will I know? without having to do some rigorous background check and figure out if, if they are who they say they are. and How will I know if this is the world in which we're about to live and how we're living? Because parents that are tolerating this might pay for these surgeries, might allow it to happen, and we'll live in a world of confusion, not knowing what's going on, and the Bible has something to say, woe to them that call evil good and good evil. This is a problem. But today, that's what's happening. We're on Sunday. Sunday, you can find the highest activity of pornography. Are you kidding me? On the Lord's Day? The highest day of activity found, or especially during the playoffs I found in a study that I was doing for a radio program, after a, after a team's loss... That particular city, their internet activity spikes on those websites. Brethren, that tells me something. People are broken, people are hurting, and they're going to the wrong source for it. Look, when it comes to sports, I can talk to you a little bit about sports suffering. Not everybody's Alabama, Tony. <laughs> you know? Not everybody wins every championship, it seems. And I've watched my team lose and lose in some of the most heartbreaking fashions, and I might have kicked the box a little bit out of the way and been upset about it, but I did understand after a little bit of cooling down that, hey, it's just a game. And there's, there's always next season. They're going to they're gonna be back next year, this time, playing just again. They're playing tonight. They're going to play tonight, and they might win. Hey, great, but they might lose the rest of the year. That's not going to bother me. To the point where I would feel that I need to sin to make myself feel better. But brethren, we're having this problem in our nation where we're calling things that are evil good. And things that are good evil. The church is now considered evil to some people. What's the result of serving such an individual? 
death by fire. But an eternal death. I had my wisdom teeth pulled in May and (laughs) found a man that would do it for free considering I was a preacher. And so I went to this man to, to pull my teeth had an impacted tooth here that was growing in sideways, needed to be drilled, and had three others that needed to be pulled. And he told me, what we're going to do is numb you on your arm, give you a shot. You're going to be, you know, high as a kite. You're not going to know a thing. We're going to pull the teeth. You're going to be fine. I said, great. I don't want to feel anything. I don't like going to the dentist. really don't want to have my teeth pulled, but I know I need to. You do what you need to do. Just make sure I'm not awake for any of it. Right. Get to the procedure, stuff didn't work on me. But guess who started the procedure? (laughs) He's yanking, and I'm grimacing and and, and in pain and and a lot of hurting, and he's saying, relax your shoulders, and yank again. It's all right, one down, which meant I had three more. He'd yank again, and I I mean, it hurt. It's one of the most painful experiences I've ever had in my life. And if you told me, hey, you want to relive that again? No, I don't. I'm glad it's over. I couldn't imagine being on fire and knowing that it will never stop. The only thing that got me through my procedure with my teeth was I was saying, okay, that's two, two more. Okay, I hear him drilling now, so that means he's almost done with this one, so that's one more. Okay, he yanked the last one. There it is. He's going to clean me up. I'm going to be on my way. I'm going to go. It's almost over. It's almost over. That's not what hell's going to be like. There is no comfort of a time frame of when it will end. But following after being the child of this murderer, this liar, that's where you'll end up. That's where I would end up. Revelation 21 and verse 8 gives us a clear picture of how many different people will be in hell. And Luke gives us a picture of a man saying, I'm tormented in this flame. Help me. Help me. If someone were to ask you tonight what the identifying marks of the devil are, we we now know. He's a murderer. He's a liar. He's a father. And I don't want to be his child. And maybe you're here and you are one of his children. But you'd like to be emancipated. (laughs) You'd like to get away from him. You can. I know you can. Because I look at a sin-sick man like Paul. I look at people in the Bible like Peter who had their difficulties and had their issues. And I see men throughout time struggle with things. But finding peace and rest through whom? Christ. And I know that I don't want to serve the devil. I'd rather serve Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, you can become one by hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized. And then living your life faithfully. Brethren, I close by telling you, I I don't know what's going to happen.
July of 2015, we were all waiting for test results from my grandmother, my nana, my dad's mother. It was a worry that she had a cancerous spot found on her lung. So we were waiting to hear the test results. All sitting in the room, test results came back negative. She didn't have anything. It was just something that happened because of something she breathed in. It would go away after a little while and she'd be okay. We all went to Wendy's. We ate lunch together. And just enjoyed being with each other. Not knowing just a few months later, she would die. Unexpectedly. And I'll never forget that phone call. <laughs> or driving as fast as I could to get to the house. Only to walk up the steps and see my dad shake his head no. I didn't think that was going to happen. But it did. I wanted so badly for my grandmother to see me graduate. She won't. I wanted so badly for her to see where I turned out, where I ended up. She won't. We're in the process of trying to buy a house. I would have loved to have shown her the house. She won't see it. But because she did something that was so important, I'm glad I don't get to show her. Because she's in paradise. And my house doesn't come anywhere close to paradise. But she lived faithfully to her Lord and followed His commandments to the letter. And you can too. And maybe you're here and you've done these things. You've become a Christian, but you just, you're not living faithfully like you need to be. Come back. Please come back. Whatever need you have this morning, won't you come right now as together we stand and sing.